What am I assuming right now is an incredibly important question to ask yourself when you find yourself butting heads with somebody. If they are, if you're in a disagreement, ask yourself, what am I assuming right now? Well, some of the things that you might be assuming are about their intent. That's good to notice. So you can assume something different, more helpful. Mm. Uh, some of what you're assuming is that they might be evil, which mm. is rarely true. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just statistically unlikely. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot of things there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the ROI online podcast, where we believe you the courageous entrepreneurs of our day are the invisible heroes of our economy. You not only improve our world with your ideas, your grit, and your passion, but you make our world better. I'm Steve Brown, and this is the place where we have great conversations with winners just like you while we laugh and learn together. Nipom. That's right. Welcome to the ROI Online Podcast. Thank you, Steve. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, that's funny. So for all of you that want to remember how to say Aiden's last name, you take your palm and you slap it on your knee, knee palm. <laughs> I yep. love that. Yep. Hey, Aiden, the folks that are listening to this, they're humans. Okay. They're actual humans with names, faces, dreams, hopes, families. They're not this Dillard's mannequin that can be dressed uh -huh. as a woman or a man without a face, right? But here's the thing. They all have fear about change. Mm -hmm. And and yet this past year and a half has like really been a major uh, bitch slap from life mm -hmm. on forcing change upon not just one of us, but all of us at the same time. And I love that your company, Art of Change, Skills for Life. And I love that your background in improv on your feet, it's improv mm -hmm. for businesses. So what a great conversation we could have today with humans that are floundering between fear and joy. Well, let me take this opportunity to say greetings, people of Earth. It is a pleasure <laughs> to have this platform in which to communicate with you. <laughs> You're translating it so well from alien to human. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, um, coming from the world of improvisation, uh, I still am a performer, and that's one area of adaptation in my personal life that uh, like many performers I've had to experience. But inside the world of theater, there's all these micro adaptations because um, a lot of patrons of the art have really uh, have really strong feelings about inclusivity. And in the interest of being inclusive, greeting our audiences with uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen has become outdated, incomplete, and inaccurate. So uh, in the search for trying to find a way to greet audiences, all kinds of things have arrived. And Greetings People of Earth has been my absolute favorite <laughs> adaptation. Um, though certainly uh, I've heard, you know, you know, hey pals and greetings friends and all of those sort of really warm welcomes that I think are also really nice. But People of Earth seems... <laughs> <laughs> 
Really on point. So feel free to steal that. Everybody listening, start talking to your friends, family, and audiences as people of Earth. Why not? Greetings, jerks or (laughs) non-jerks. You know, at the Art of Change, we have this, um, this like inherent rejection to this idea that people can be classified by their behavior, that like you are a jerk, uh, (laughs) because all of us are jerks sometimes and it's contextual. So uh, we focus a lot on behaviors that are effective in the workplace and how to elicit those behaviors and how to respond to unpleasant behaviors and where those are motivated from. Um, Because the truth is, you know, all of us are jerks sometimes and all of us are generous sometimes and all of us are a little introverted and shy sometimes. So I'm curious about improv. Yeah. I see folks that have taken improv and like they, that makes them good on their feet. And I'm curious about how that applies in a business situation, because in a business Mm -hmm. situation, if you ever have a a group of people that are like going, is it okay that I behave this way? Is it okay if I color outside the lines? There's this, there's this safety that must exist in a culture for you to let yourself go and be creative Mm -hmm. and courageous and put yourself out there. And so what a wonderful thing about doing improv in business, but I can't imagine how to get people to finally warm up to it and step into it. It must be a real challenge. Well, as my colleague at Merlin Works, Shana Merlin, always says, in fact, I think this might be the catchphrase for her business, um, you improvise every day. So why not get good at it? (laughs) Um, The the truth is, everybody is making it up as we go. We we really are. Um, We're colliding ideas. We don't don't have a script right now. You've asked me a question and I'm coming up with an answer in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people... And pardon my, I'm having my morning coffee, Um, pardon my uh, whatever, but um, some people take longer to make it up, but they're still making it up. So somebody who's an internal processor um, in that particular context, they're, they're chewing on the thought before they spit it out. And that's, but they're still making it up in here and then choosing whether or not to share. So it's, it's still improv, even when it's on the inner planes. Um, what improv training helps with is speeding up the process between things showing up here and coming out here, just speeds up the process. Um, there are some inherent behaviors that are really helpful when you're in a collaborative workspace and, um, it's speeding up the process of listening, getting curious, noticing more so that when stuff shows up here outward, that it's connected to what's happening. Um, we don't want to just speed up you talking out loud all the, the time, because if everybody's doing that 100% of the time and nobody is listening, then we're definitely not going to get anywhere collaboratively. So the process is speeding up that habit of I'm going to get really curious about what's happening. The other thing I want to mention is that there are a lot of things that we take for granted in terms of workplace behavior that we think are norms that aren't necessarily written in stone. And, and on your feet, we call those invisible rules. And I think they're worth noticing. Mm-hmm. There are things that are um, absolutely required for society to function, like an invisible rule is that we're all going to put pants on when we meet in person. Mm-hmm. But um, there, you know, and also some states have laws about that. But <laughs> 
but in the workplace, there are invisible rules around um, if somebody has rejected your idea that you're going to, that you're going to fight for it. And now you're going to spend all your time fighting for it rather than this idea that maybe if that idea has been rejected, it's okay to listen to the ideas that are gaining steam and just add to that. Um, or the reverse might be true. Maybe your idea um, does deserve a little bit of attention, but there's an invisible rule that says you can't say, hey, wait a minute, you've discounted my idea. Let's take a moment and just explore it for a time limit. You know, like let's have 30 seconds and then you can reject my idea. So it, this idea that a fight has to be long, this idea that, uh, you know, collaboration has to be painful, this idea, there's all these things that are invisible rules that you've made up in your head, basically, um, with the help of your peers. And it's worth examining those uh, to see what you is worth keeping. Some of them are absolutely worth keeping. And what's worth rewriting? No, those invisible rules, they can penalize you socially if you don't follow them or you violate them. And yet they're unwritten, but mm -hmm. they sure exist. And you sure can pay the penalty for violating them. Well, so that's interesting. So yes and no, both things are true. Um, it depends on what invisible rule we're talking about. Um, one of the things that has showed up in trainings with teams often is not the same rules. I, I'm trying to think of a really specific example, um, but we'll, uh, at On Your Feet, we'll sometimes run people through um, what we call storyline to sort of get a sense of what their process is from point A to point B on a project. Mm -hmm. And what this is one of those places where invisible rules really shows up because what'll happen is what we're representing are the different parts of your process physically. So someone's got to stand up and say, okay, and then X happens. And then they're going to hold the physical line for where that happens. And then the next person's going to add a piece of the process. And what inevitably shows up is person A thinks X shows up here, but person B is like, D -d 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 -d, that's not when that happens. Right. That's supposed to happen way down here. And that's where invisible rules show up. Like for example, um, check your assumptions. You're not allowed to check your assumptions or you shouldn't ask for help. Those mm. types of invisible rules yeah. are great to break. Yeah. I call those stupid taxes. They're, they're ex <laughs> expensive taxes you pay, yes. but they're like invisible and they're just yeah. stupid. You imagine them employees that, okay, you, this is your, you're getting ready to go to work the first day at your new job. Mm -hmm. And in your head, you're going, I'm going to be the best employee. I'm going to really make the best of this opportunity. I'm going to do great. And so you go in. And so what do you do? You're first, you're learning the lingo. You're learning the processes you like you talked about. You're learning the invisible rules. Mm -hmm. And you, the first invisible rule you run into that stupid, that doesn't make any sense. You think to yourself, well, that's stupid. Why did Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was going to be a good employee. I don't want to say that. So you just accept right. it. But over time, it wears you down and it kills your, your motivation. And it's like, how do you, how do you want to get these in the open? Let's address them. Let's talk mm -hmm. about them. Let's resolve this so that the culture becomes healthy and happy. The employees like don't run into stupid taxes that right. are expensive. Now I do 
I do want to say that I think creating an environment in which employees can speak up about these things is critical coming from leadership. It's like leadership has to lead the example on that. And they have to be really open when things show up. I um, I knew a lady who had a kind of a, a role b- below her capability, but she had been desperate to take a job. So she took this job, mm-hmm. um, but her habit was to add value wherever she went. And one of the first things she noticed within a couple of months of being there is that a process that they were using could be sped up. And when she sped up the process, she noticed that the math was wrong on all this stuff. She ended up bringing to her boss this savings of like $50,000 a month. Now that's not nothing to a company. And I understand companies run these large budgets, but $50,000 a month. That's not nothing. That's an entire salary for somebody. So uh, that's more than an entire salary for somebody. That's 12 salaries. That's 12 employees. So she brought this up to them and they weren't open to it. They were like, look, we've always done it the way we've done it. And she's like, this is a significant amount of money that you are hemorrhaging. And they were like, we don't, we don't want to change. We, we, they're stuck in their ways. So I appreciated this in her telling me this story that she, um, you know, that she noticed something, she questioned the invisible rules just because we've always done it this way. Is that the best way to do it? Um, but what she discovered in that process is this wasn't the best place for her to right. shine and she's no longer there. So yeah. not only did that company end up hemorrhaging that money still to this day, I assume, but they also lost an incredibly valuable employee who's like trying to make things better for that company um, simply because she's passionate about the type of work that she does. She doesn't care about that company. She cares about doing great work. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, companies make this weird leadership sometimes gets really full of themselves. They're like, our employees love us because of who we are and what our vision is. Um, And that can be great. But when you have a company that's uh, not representing somebody's ideal dream product, you know, say, I don't know, paper milling or waste management or anything that's just seen, it's possible somebody's that passionate about waste management, but it's more likely they just want to do valuable work. So it's up to leadership to be like, oh my gosh, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Let's have a conversation about it and see if we can come to um, something that helps me feel secure in my processes. So I don't feel foolish, but also that I don't hemorrhage cash and lose valuable employees. You know, I've, that's, uh, so that the logical thing in that situation, she recognized this all this logic justifies the presentation and acceptance of this. Mm-hmm. Well, that happens in a sales process as well. When you're like going, mm-hmm. this solution would be perfect for you and save you all this money, but yet they say no. Yeah. And if you sit back and go, why did they say no? It's because I didn't address the internal challenge there. What change does this represent that makes this person fearful Right. To embrace it. And, and it, how, maybe that was just one of a hundred things that person knew about that needed to be changed. And it, like, you're going to expose me, but when totally. you, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, absolutely. The step that she missed was understanding what they care about. 
Yes. Right. So, so it's up to leadership to be open, even when it's outside of your, what you care about. You have your priorities, assuming that your employees understand your priorities. That's a miss. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, when you're trying to manage up, you, you should absolutely assume that the person in charge has certain priorities and that you don't know what they are. And you should see if you can understand what that is. Um, when you're presenting your ideas, if you want them to adopt that your ideas, if you're like, this is going to save you lots of money, what you may not understand on their end. And again, I think this is up to leadership to explain, um, or at least take a minute to try, uh, is that in order to change all those processes to save that money, they might have to spend a bunch of money up front mm-hmm. and they might understand that math, but this employee may not. So it's, it's important to just have that, I think that open conversation. You want to keep employees that want to save your company money if you're smart, even mm-hmm. if it seems scary. Um, and at the same time, if you are looking at how much it costs to implement all, all of those changes, you have to be honest about when you're not going to accept those those recommendations. I really appreciate you bringing this to me. Um, we'll consider it, but I want to be honest with you that this may involve more than you realize, so we may not be able to implement it. You're listening or you're watching a great conversation with Aiden Nepom. Theartofchange.com is her company. She's uh, also does improv on your feet, improv for business. And she has this uh, TED Talk that I really enjoyed. But in there, you talk about, Aiden, fear and joy and this yeah. limbo in between that's mm-hmm. keeping you from going from fear to joy. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so I call it limbo, but it's really, um, a place of comfort. Uh, it's a place of familiarity. Comfort may be the wrong word because it can be quite uncomfortable in that place. Mm -hmm. But what it is, is when you are falling back on your patterns of behavior and, and habits of thought that no longer serve you well, but continue to do them, that's how you end up in that place of limbo. You're afraid of doing things wrong, but you're not going towards the greater joy. And I want to be clear that when it comes to changing these things, it isn't always about, um, like when I work with my clients one-on-one, it isn't always about having a major career change in order to seek your greatest joy. It could be something really small, like your communication with your teammate as sort of fallen into a pattern of habit and thoughts that don't serve that relationship well. So you're not having an effective communication. And you may think that you know what it would take to get past that tough communication, but you're afraid to try it. So you keep doing the thing that isn't working because it's familiar. Um, So in the TED Talk, I I tell a very personal story about really a moment of career change for me. Um, But uh, in this example, it still is the same thing. You want to take a moment and think about, well, what are the moments that do work? What do I like about those? How can I do more of that? Um, and that's basically the gist of it. It's like in my story, in my TED Talk, um, I talk about a really difficult period in my life. Uh, and I was really unsure about how to get out of that rut, how to how to find 
a career that was, that I was passionate about. I was floundering. I was doing like a million things, trying to find a fit. I was like running through the world in a way in that moment, like the little character in the children's book being like, are you my mommy? Are you my my career path? Are you my career path? Uh, am I passionate about this? I don't even know, you know, so it's like, it was a super confusing time. And uh, luckily for me, I have a, a self-help best-selling author father <laughs> who, who applied some of his work with me. And the truth is I grew up with these tools, but if you've ever hired a coach um, to help you through a decision, if you've ever worked with um, a mentor to boost your business, then you know that sometimes, even though those answers are here all along inside, mm. it does often take somebody to point some things out to you to really see them. And that was what my dad did for me. He was like, you just keep making safe choices. And if you want rewards, you have to take risks. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've been doing all these amazing things. I don't think you could call, um, you know, living a vaudeville style life, (laughs) making safe choices. Um, And at the same time, he was absolutely right. The safe choice that I was making, my habit of thought was if somebody said something was a good idea, I agreed to that. Somebody was like, you should do rock climbing. I was like, cool, that sounds great. And then I became a rock climber. Somebody was like, you should learn how to play guitar. I was like, cool. So I learned to play guitar. And those things are cool. And I have no regrets about doing that. That's a really fun way to live life. But if you want to get any kind of um, traction in anything, if you want to have more reward than simply coasting, then you have to be a little more intentional. And it was the intentionality that felt risky to me. Excuse me. Hey, I wanted to pause right here and tell you about a book that you need to get today. It's the funniest book on marketing. It's called The Golden Toilet. Stop flushing your marketing budget into your website and build a system that grows your business. And guess who wrote it? That's right. I wrote it. And I wrote it just for you because I want to help you get past the last hurdles of setting up your business and getting it squared away. I wrote it so that you could avoid time, wasting time, wasting money, wasting frustration. Get the book on Audible. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Amazon. But get the book, take advantage of the insights in there, and let me know what you think. And now, back to this excellent episode. Wow, it's like we're we're okay staying in the uncomfort that we know. Yeah. Instead of risking an uncomfort that we don't know. Right. So that you call it safe or you were taking safe decisions, doing on rock climbing is not comfortable. There are some things you you would discover about yourself in it, Mm -hmm. but where did you, where do you, where do you get the energy to dig deep down and like, go, all right, I'm going to choose this direction. When, when you've been yeah. kind of avoiding that. Yeah. I, it's, uh, it takes intentionality. It takes a willingness and it doesn't have to be as hard as you might think. The questions that um, my dad asked me in that conversation are now questions that I use with my clients. Um, 
<laughs> where do you were... want to be? Where do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. What are you passionate about? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Uh, no, to be fair, I would say that's the worst question because if you're in a place of floundering, you're like, I don't know, this is fun. Is that the same as passion? I don't, um, no, I think the questions that are really helpful to ask are, what are you, what are you afraid of? And sometimes that can be a tough one to answer. Um, but in my case, it was like, if you are successful imagine you're successful can you imagine that you're successful (laughs) well if you can't imagine success your own success what's getting in the way and in many cases people's um fear of success comes from a place of feeling like they're not deserving Mm -hmm. like success belongs to somebody else um sometimes the idea of success has to be defined in a really specific way. So um, people say success, but they don't know what it means. Um, so I, I don't mean attaching dollar amounts because, you know, statistically, if you look at research, people who are like, I want to make $150,000 by the end of this month or this year or in this decade uh, fail because money isn't a good driver. You have to be driven by something else. So it's, it's about answering that question of like, if I were to be successful, what does that look like? How, wh- how do I imagine life feeling? Um, am I capable of getting there? And just start there. If yeah. going into the future is hard, start with right now. Find that intersection of what, what do I do that is rewarding that other people seem to be rewarded by? Um, in my case, joy was my biggest driver. So getting into your values, what do you really care about and have some skill set around or have a skill set you could learn? Um, I find yeah, I find that one of the barriers there, okay, so if I'm going to define what success looks like for me in the future, mm-hmm. one of the traps is comparing yourself to someone that's in a aspiring oh, yeah. position but it may not be relevant to you, but yet that's what you're going to measure everything up against. And then it's just pure failure the whole way. And it's, it's demoralizing. Oh yeah. No, that's a really good point. Comparison is a terrible trap. Um, I can't remember who said it. There's a wonderful quote about, um, you know, people's misery comes from the mistaken understanding that other people are happy. Yeah. Uh, something, something to that effect, um, because you do, you look at other people and the lives they're living or the rewards that they're getting, and you make a lot of assumptions about what their life must be like, and you don't know. Mm. So all you can really think about is this, look, this is the same thing in communication. You make a bunch of assumptions about why somebody did something or said something. And the truth is you don't know. Mm. So all, and you can't control what other people say. So all you can do is dig into what is happening internally. And when I say define what success looks like for you, I, I mean, in an, in a sort of artsy fartsy way, I, I do. I mean, what, it, what would it feel like? Would the sh- where would your shoulders live? Would they be inside your ears if you were successful or would your shoulders be down and relaxed? Um you know, would you feel uh, like you're you're on the treadmill? <laughs> would you like 
making a lot of fast paced moves, would that feel good? Or would that feel like a slog? So what, what would it feel like in your body to have success? And I think, you know, there's some universal things uh, around, like, I wouldn't feel um, burdened. I would feel like my bases are covered. I could provide for my family. I would have time for my hobbies. But I think getting really specific in that artsy-fartsy way of like, what does life feel like? And just allow that to be the dream as opposed to like, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, I'm going to take a rocket to the moon by 2020. These visions are important if that's your business, but when it comes to internal success and what you care about and what your drivers are, that's a different question. I find that. So the, the word passion and the word fulfilling are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that where I get energy from is overcoming challenges that give me a sense of accomplishment. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, our lives, when we say happy, you know, happy is relative, happy, your your dog gets run over or something, you're not going to be happy that day. Right. And, and God forbid, but that's, but life happens that way. So, but overcoming the setback, overcoming the, oh my gosh, we have a lot of work here, but at the end of it, you're like, look what we accomplished. Look what we did together. Look at the communications and the stupid taxes we eliminated from this process, right? That's fulfilling and it gives you energy. And I think that's where your passion really comes from Mm -hmm. in a healthy way. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, when it comes to these things, I really do think starting small is a really good choice for most people. What are small things that you could do right now? I like to dream big. I like to dream into the future. That isn't for everybody. Um, Some people need to look at what's happening in this moment right now uh, that I could be doing more of, that I could be doing less of, um, that I could stop doing altogether, that I could start doing right now. Um, And it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be lofty. So in my TED talk, for me, it was... um, at that time, I was doing improv. And what my dad asked me, and I asked people, you know, these questions as well, which, what do you like about that? So that was a thing I was doing that was bringing me great joy and fulfillment. And the question was, what about that is bringing me joy and fulfillment? And it, it was that I was sharing a moment of joy with people, that I was um, bringing smiles to people's faces, that I was getting this like, wash of good energy back in return. And so, you know, identifying that that was what was fulfilling there um, opened up the possibility that I could get more fulfillment by doing more of whatever that was. It was not obvious to me immediate in any kind of immediate way um, how to translate that into my career path. And I think it can be misleading to say that just do more of that and you'll get there eventually. Um, And at the same time, I I do advocate that just do more of that thing that is fulfilling and you will get there eventually. There's this simultaneous 
holding on and letting go, holding on and letting go um, that happens. It's, it sounds very woo. I probably should get into some kind of spiritual practice at some point, but uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's this weird like balance of <laughs> uh, hold on to what you're passionate about. Let go. It may never happen. Um, <laughs> be open to the possibility of something else. Um, but actually it's this intentionality of of wanting to simply create more of that shared level of joy and thinking about how could I just do more of that? How could I serve people more? How could I bring greater joy to more people? Um, and as I continued doing that, the doors just sort of open opened up around me. You have to be noticing more. It's an improv practice to notice the offers that show up. Um, and so Instead of now that thing where somebody would be like, um, you you should be in a rock band. I'd be like, okay, that sounds fun. Uh, instead of that, I now had my eyes open to something really specific. So people weren't always coming to me saying, you should do this next. In fact, that kind of stopped mm -hmm. for a little bit. Instead, I started saying to myself, oh, you should do this next. And then that would open another set of possibilities. Yeah. Um, so just taking that focus from, okay, I'm just going to do what people tell me or what's expected of me to, I want to create more of this kernel of whatever this is. It's going to be different for you. Um, and then looking for ways to do more of that. It's like you went from waiting to be picked yeah. to I pick myself and the problem with people telling you what you should do is they don't understand your backstory or your deep why the thing that really drives you. They, they see you in a role in a moment. You, should, yeah. you know, I get told Steve, you should, you should jump off a cliff and right. you know, I get told that often. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not understanding my deeper <laughs> motivations that won't serve me. Sure. I'm, but I'm, I'm picturing those conversations happening in a, <laughs> at social events. Can I buy you a drink? Steve, you should jump off a cliff. Uh, but I'm sure that's not what you mean. <laughs> no, that no, I've heard that too. But but I'm it's funny. But I think that's where uh, where there's a point in our lives when we go, oh, I can. I can actually decide to choose the direction I'm going to go. I'm the one that sees my worth. I mm -hmm. should position myself in a place that, that is fulfilling, that will, will build upon my unique values, right? Instead yeah. of waiting for someone to, I wish someone would just recognize how valuable I am. And pick me. Oh my God. Yes. You cannot, if somebody isn't recognizing your value, I, I stand by this so strongly. Uh, there are two things that are happening. One is you're not providing the amount of value that you think you're providing. <laughs> that's a possibility. And you should be open to noticing that because um, that's a possibility. That being said, if it's happening over and over and over again with that same person and you know you're providing value, and you can quantify that you're providing value, you are in the wrong business relationship mm. and you should move along. Mm. Um, I, I have a lot of folks that I have spoken with and worked with over the years who are in, uh, in go nowhere positions who have been told uh, 
no countless times to being able to move upward. Um, and rather than being guided along that path or being told what's needed, they're just like, oh, we just, uh, uh, please just get out of my, that's just not a, you're not working together in that relationship. It's not worth investing further in that. Go where you are valued and then provide value there. Amen, sister. Yeah. We're listening or watching Aiden Nepom. She's the, uh, <laughs> the, the big shot at artofchange.com. So Aiden, what's the one question nobody ever asked that you wish they would so that you could answer it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Improv. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. That is, uh, sounds really good, but it's a really tough one to answer. Um, <laughs> uh, hmm. <clears throat> I feel like people ask me so many questions and it's something I really enjoy doing is answering them. So trying to think of a question people don't ask is a little challenging. Um, I do. I do wish that people would ask themselves questions more. And I also, so this maybe isn't a question about what I wish people would ask me, but I wish that people would ask more questions of themselves. And the best question to ask yourself when you don't know what question to ask is what am I assuming right now? It's a great question. Um, Explore yeah. that with, with me. What? Yeah. So uh, look, this is a great question in all kinds of contexts. Let's say you're having, right now I've been leading these free workshops called Reason in an Outraged World because I'm really passionate about having the difficult conversations that we need to move towards a, bit, a better future mm -hmm. um, instead of having polarizing debate that leads us down a path of mutual destruction. Mm -hmm. And what am I assuming right now is an incredibly important question to ask yourself when you find yourself butting heads with somebody. If they are, if you're in a disagreement, ask yourself, what am I assuming right now? Well, some of the things that you might be assuming are about their intent. That's good to notice. So you can assume something different, more helpful. Mm. Uh, some of what you're assuming is that they might be evil, which mm. is rarely true. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just statistically unlikely. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things there when it comes to, and I could go on about that and we can dig into it if you like. Um, but I want to give you another example, which is when it comes to your personal path. Um, what am I assuming about me right now? It might be, mm. I'm not, I'm not capable of change. I'm not capable of doing better. I don't deserve success. Um, this is me forever and ever and always, and I can prove it. Those are still, that's all assumption territory. So I think what am I assuming right now is a really important question that you can ask yourself. I love that. So does the improv, if I was to go, all right, what am I assuming about myself? And then I want to change that assumption. Does the action mm -hmm. of improvisation help the brain envision you in a different scenario in the future? Is that what the power of improv offers? Maybe I think I think improvisation help. Yeah, I think it can be helpful along those lines. Like um, if I'm, uh, what you know, in a in an improv scene when I'm teaching improv classes because I I have I do that from time to time um, for performers. Um, 
when I'm teaching those classes, the questions that I often encourage them to ask are a little different. It's more like, um, based on what exists in the scene so far, if these things are true, what else might be true? Um, so that's that's another that's a, but that's almost opposite to what we're talking about with this. Mm -hmm. What am I assuming right now? Um, but you could absolutely, in an improv scene, ask yourself that question instead and yield interesting results. What am I assuming right now? I'm assuming the scene is taking place on planet Earth. Nobody has said it's taking place on planet Earth. So mm -hmm. I could offer something and give some context to this scene um, that would change the direction of the scene without changing any of the previously established information. Um, so you could totally do that. I think what improv does for people who who take improv theater and comedy classes or who even just watch a lot of improv shows, I don't think you have to be in improv classes to um, have your thinking shifted by that style of comedy and theater. Um, I think what it does for people is it, it just opens up the possibility that your instincts are useful and interesting and valuable. It opens up the possibility that you might create something better with somebody else than you would on your own. And it opens up the possibility that anything and everything is a type of offer that you can take and do something with. So I think that's what improv does for people. Love that. Are, for, for the folks that are listening, are there like like virtual improv shops that you can attend that you're aware of? Oh yeah. There's tons of improv. There's so much improv happening online during all of this. Um, so, so much. Uh, I, I can personally recommend improv classes from Merlin works. Uh, that's where I used to be a faculty member. So I'm definitely biased in making that recommendation. Technically I am still a faculty member there, but I'm not currently personally teaching any improv classes. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the cool things that Merlin Works is doing right now during this pandemic is they're offering really specific niche classes that are improvs for like improv for therapists or improv for physicians. And I think having a context where everyone is sharing a sort of professional background in thinking about how they might apply what they're what they're playing with in class can be really useful for activating your learning. So there's that. Um there is uh, Improv University is another thing worth Googling. Um, a friend of mine from Montreal Improv, uh, they had closed their physical space. A lot of improv spaces had to close this year. Um, so their physical space is closed and he opened up Improv University online. So there's a lot of interesting classes happening there. And um, the Hideout Theater... Um, in Austin, Texas, um, actually Merlin Works is also based in Austin. Um, the Hideout Theater is offering a ton of shows and classes and doing really interesting things online. Um, I believe Curious Comedy Theater here in Portland is doing the same. I, you could probably do a Facebook search if you're on Facebook, um, just imp improv workshop. And I bet you would get a just a ton of events that are open to the public. I, I guarantee it. Um, and I, you know, I'm performing once a month as well. So if you want to see an interesting uh, improvised theater experience, I do an improvised musical uh, sitcom set in the 1950s 
with my husband and another couple, we call ourselves Babe Improv and the show is called I Love Musicals. It's loosely inspired by I Love Lucy. So in addition to helping people process change, uh, communicate more effectively, um, become better leaders, I also do this really super nerdy thing of of putting on a costume and making up a musical. (laughs) (laughs) And if someone wants to work with you, how do they connect with you and and, uh, get mixed up with you? Yeah. So go to artofchange.com. You'll find that's a portal to all things Aiden Nepom. Um, currently, as I mentioned, you can, uh, I don't know how long I'm going to keep reason in an outraged world free. It will always be the least expensive offering. Um, the only reason I may start charging is because uh, in my experience, people ignore things that are free mm-hmm. Um they don't value them. So I may charge like the price of a magazine or something like that, just because I want people to, uh, I want people to take the workshop. (laughs) The reason I am offering the workshop is because I am passionate about giving this content away. I want people to have these tools to communicate more effectively. It is super important to me. And so if I think more people will enroll by charging, then that's what I'll have to do. But for right now it's free and you can, um, find that. There are other workshops. Uh, People can work one-on-one with me as well. And the other thing I want to encourage people to do, um, because I just like giving stuff away. (laughs) My dad would be like, at some point you have to charge money, Aiden. And I'm like, I don't know. We'll test that theory. Um, But uh, listen to the Changed podcast. It's not specific to business. Um, It is specific to how people think about change. And I think in listening to the stories of the guests that I have on that show, you'll find sources of inspiration. Um, You'll tap into fork in the road moments in your own life and remember those outcomes and how you're affected by the choices that you make. And I think there are always interesting takeaways. Um, And every once in a while, I throw in a, a tool at the end of an episode that I think will help people process something better. And that's the Changed pod- Podcast? That's the Changed Podcast. Changed. So get changed. Yeah. So those that, are the ways to work with me. Theartofchange.com. Actually, those are the ways to get things for free from me is what I just told you. <laughs> you get it for free. You just sign up and pay a little bit so you can have it for free. That's right. The Changed Podcast is, you know, it's out there. It's everywhere there that you listen. And um and right now, reason in an outraged world is free. Yeah. And valuable. It's incredibly valuable. If you are tired of having these bang your head against a wall conversations with people, uh, the tools in that workshop will have you help you have meaningful conversations with people that you disagree with. That is the point of the workshop. And the tools were developed in a business context. So they are, uh, in my opinion, essential leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of 2020, I was tired of witnessing my friends' relationships with each other crumble. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had a set of tools that were really effective in helping people communicate through disagreements, uh, collaborate more effectively in the workplace. And I went, oh, right. This totally works outside the workplace too. So that's, um, it's 
applicable in both settings. Come get it. It will help you lead better. It'll help you collaborate at work better. It'll help you interact with human beings you love and care about better. What a great way to tie a knot on a great episode. Amy, you've been an awesome guest on the ROI Online Podcast. Thank you, Steve. You've been an awesome host. Fun talking with you. I've enjoyed it. I'm, I, uh, I think I want to do some improv in one of your classes or something. So, yeah, you should. I mean, I, I don't know when I'm going to offer. I, I may offer an improv class at some point because I do really enjoy teaching improv. It's such a really fun thing to to give people. Um, there's a little bit of improv in everything I teach. I use it to activate other communication tools, but specifically improv training is it's own unique, special thing. And I, I do recommend it. There you go. Well, thanks, Aiden. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another fun episode of the ROI online podcast. For more, be sure to check out the show notes of this episode and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I can help direct you to the resources you're searching for. To learn more about how you can grow your business better, be sure to pick up your copy of my book, The Golden Toilet at surprisethegoldentoilet.com. I'm Steve Brown, and we'll see you next week on another fun episode of the ROI Online Podcast.